Hebrews chapter 12. Begin at verse 4 and read down to verse 11. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 11. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you give us endurance. Give us eyes to see your grace. Give us a will to accept your will. Give us joy in the hard things that you are using to discipline us. Lord, call people. Father, I pray you call men and women to faith in Jesus today. A rejoicing faith in Jesus. And help us now, in Christ's name we ask, amen. So as we begin today, let me ask you a question. Do you actually feel loved by God? Some say yes. Do you feel loved by God or do you feel forgotten? Do you feel like things are going well in your life? Do you feel like they're going well in your life? Or do you feel like they are actually harder than they should be? And what does being a Christian have to do with any of that? What is God? What is God doing in your life right now? There is a difference, a marked difference. There is a difference between God's judgment on sinners. This is the Christian gospel. There is a difference between how God judges sinners that are not in Christ and how He disciplines His children. Sometimes it doesn't feel like the two are different, but they're different. If that's the case, what does the Christian gospel have to do with any of this? How are you... Right this moment, how are you interpreting the events of your life? Mostly the hard things. So before we get to the passage, let's get some clarity on what the Christian gospel is. And let's use the Christian gospel as a framework 
to unlock this passage and rightly understand it. One scenario. Let me put up one scenario. Here's one scenario. A young lady who grew up in the church showed up most of the time unless they were gone or something else was happening. Most people would consider her a Christian, yet there's not been anything that actually happened on the inside. You never gave your life to Jesus, never been transformed, didn't put your faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That lady is one, that's one scenario. She's walking through hard times and hurting. It's one scenario. Another scenario is a young woman who has given her life to Jesus. She believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. She's been transformed. Her life is different. Her sins are forgiven. And yet she's going through the same level of difficulty as the first scenario. What's the difference in the two? What does it mean for her to be in Christ? You see, as Christians, this is where the prosperity gospel has messed us up so badly. As Christians, we oftentimes suffer the painful consequences of sin. As Christians, we oftentimes suffer the painful consequences of sin, but we never experience God's judgment for sin. Be, be clear in your thinking. Now, crisp in it. God judged your sins. If you were in Christ, God poured out the full wrath of His judgment on sin. He poured that out on Jesus in your place. Jesus died to take that judgment. You will not be judged for your sins. Jesus was judged for your sins. If that's the case, then what's going on with the pain and the, and the disappointment and the trouble you're having right now? I think this passage speaks with clarity and, and strength and encouragement. My hope is today that when you walk out of here, when you, when you walk out of here today, that you will view what you're dealing with right now a little bit differently. That you'll see the hardship differently. That you'll be reminded that God loves His children. And that if you are in Christ, that means that everything that's going on in your life right now, everything God is doing in your life right now, He's doing it with a loving purpose, conforming you to the image of Christ. You see, we trust, this is, this is what I would write down, we trust God's love when things get hard. I want you to trust God's love when things get hard. Several things in this passage that uh, will help us, I think, that we need to reflect on and will help us trust God's love. First thing I want to reflect on is in verse 4, and this is number 1. First thing to reflect on, and that is our worst battles are internal. Our worst, our biggest fight is not a culture war. Our worst battles are internal. Let me read the verse. Let me show you where I get that. In verse 4, and let's just uh, think it through. You just walk, walk through it with me. 
The writer says to his people, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Well, a couple of things. In your struggle, now there is a struggle, you are fighting. That struggle is against sin. That sin has not pressed so hard. That struggle has not gone to the point of being a martyr. What's the context? Chapter 11 is the context. Remember, the hall of faith, chapter 11, all of these men and women live by faith. That chapter ends with a whole lot of description of martyrs, people dying because of their faith. And here's what the preachers say. A couple of things. The one thing he's saying is, hey, it could be worse. Which is not a very encouraging thing. If you're going through a hard time, it's, don't you love when somebody says, well, it could have been worse. There's a little bit of that here. Is that Don't, don't forget now, I mean... You could be chapter 11 kind of Christian. I don't think that's what the main point is, though. You know what I think he's saying here? Your biggest struggle is your own sin. Notice, look what it says. The context is chapter 11. The, these folks standing up for the faith, fighting for the faith, this outward sort of fighting. But chapter 12, he turns talking about discipline and he says the struggle's here right verse 4 in your struggle against sin your own sin you've not resisted to the point of shedding blood now you know I mean you know here at Hickory Grove where we stand on so many truths you've seen it in the people that we've had come Come to our church. In the last three months, we had Al Moeller here as the foremost apologist for uh, the culture war when it comes to, to Christianity and where it stands in the culture. We've had him here to speak and preach and did a, ask anything. We had Carl Truman read his book, The, the Rise of the Modern Self. He spoke at our school and then we had a, an evening at our church. We had Christopher Yu on here last Sunday. All of these, we do this for equipping, we do this for our people. We do this as an indication of who we are, what we believe, what we stand for, what we stand against. So you just rattle off what's going on in the culture that we hate, we stand against. We stand against same-sex marriage, against public libraries having drag queen story hour. We are pro-life and anti-abortion. We think that culture is is godless. We stand against gender confusion, believing that Genesis 1 and 2, God created us in His image as male and female. We stand against the transsexual ideology. We stand against preferred pronouns, the sexualization. I mean, just, just make your list of the things we stand against. All of the above and more are eroding the ordered society that God has given us. But brothers and sisters, don't get so caught up in a culture war that you forget your own soul. The biggest fight we got is not people out there waiting on us. The biggest fight is right here in your chest. The biggest problem you got is not a politician. Look, I'm all for voting right and, and using every means we can to make sure that there is some sort of righteousness in our society. But brothers and sisters, that is not our fight. Our fight is here. I mean, you think about the Apostle Paul <laughs> living in Rome. 
or writing to the church at Rome. The Apostle Paul, living maybe during a time of the emperor Nero, never addressed it. Now, we've had some bad leaders, but nobody like Nero, or maybe close to Nero, <laughs> but you get the point, right? You get the point. What did, what did Paul say in Romans chapter 7? About, he didn't say go fight the culture war. You know what he said, Romans chapter 7, when he struggled with himself? Romans 7, 18, 19, and 20, Paul says, uh, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You ever felt that? I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin in me. He gets to the end of it and he says in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this? And then he finishes. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Brother, our, our, our battle is here. Certainly we stand up for what's right. Certainly we live in a culture that hates everything we believe in. All of that is true. Yes, don't stop doing that. Yes, but don't get so caught up in slaying dragons. You forget here. The first fight we have is not with the culture, but with ourselves and the sin that we have not conquered in the name of Jesus so that we might be known by holiness and, and genuine humility marked by godliness and real patience with people. That in our lives that the, that the fruit of the Spirit becomes foremost, that you are known by love and, 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 and joy, that you have peace with God and peace with other people, that you are that you are patient, isn't that the fruit, and kind, genuinely good, that you are able to control yourself? I mean, where are the spiritual disciplines? I mean, isn't that what we're about, the spiritual disciplines of gathering together in worship, worshiping God on a Sunday, pouring our heart out in prayer? How do we fight asking God to fight our battles? Making sure that we have the Bible, there's intake, God's Word coming into our hearts that have genuine accountability and a D-group. Real fellowship with other believers to help your own soul. Living in self-denial. Brothers and sisters, sometimes the most heroic Christian thing you can do is go to church on a Sunday. Gather with Gather with the saints on the Lord's day, giving thanks for what God has done for you in Jesus. Get up on a Monday, open the Word of God, spend some time reading it, ask God to move in your family, protect your children, to give you great grace and strength, and then walk out the door and live for Jesus. Amen. Instead of always looking outward for some dragon to slay, let's begin here. Our worst battles are internal. It's something to reflect on in verse 4. There may be more though. Let's go into the passage, verses 5 and 6. Here's the second thing to reflect on. Number 2, our best weapon is God's Word. Yeah. Our best weapon. Let's take a look at it, verse 5 and 6. Let's read it with some explanation and then maybe, maybe make some application. Let's, let's go with me to verse 5. The preacher says to his people, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. And then he quotes from Proverbs chapter 3. This is a quote. Anytime you see an indentation like that, that's a quote. 
it's interesting to me that he is, uh, he's, he's using the Bible and this is God speaking. And he quotes Proverbs 3. My son, there's good news and bad. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. So what, what can you learn? Let's just make, I'll make just broad and quick application. Here's the first, the first reflection <clears throat> or application. That is, you are to rejoice in the Bible. Rejoice in the Bible. You don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. But we rejoice in having God's Word. I mean, verse 5, do you hear what he says there? Notice what he says in verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation? See that word? I would circle it. It's parakaleo. It is the same word describing the Holy Spirit. And the writer is saying, here, the book of Proverbs is written directly for you Christians, and it is here not as a condemnation. Parakaleo, it's encouragement. It's food for your soul and, and drink. This is here to give you nourishment. It's life-giving to rejoice. It should not be drudgery to open, that, to open that book. Don't let it be drudgery. There is your life. We rejoice in the Bible. What else do we find in verse 5? That's verse 5, the first part. And I come down into Proverbs. And I would say, don't ignore the warnings. Don't ignore. What does the text say? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be flippant about the discipline of the Lord. Don't think that happened to you and you're able to shake it off. Don't ignore the warning. Here's a scenario. A guy came through, comes through high school, goes up and graduates high school, goes off to college. There at college, all of his buddies are there and he starts drinking in college. It's not a big problem. He doesn't become a drunk. He just likes to drink on the weekend and um, likes to party. One Saturday evening, gets away from him, gets in the car and drives. He's drunk. On the way home, he runs into a tree. Wrecks his car. He survives it. Nobody else is hurt. It's a grace and a gift. Nobody got hurt. The police come. They give him a ticket. He has to pay the fine. Gets a lawyer. It's behind him. Now, what he was given, if he's a believer, that was a discipline. That was a warning. And, and, the, and the preacher's saying, look at Proverbs. Don't, don't ignore. Stand too close to someone of the opposite sex, and it, it, you, you've made them feel uncomfortable, and then that person, somehow it gets back to you, and you're told... It's a warning. You're doing something, you get caught, and, and yet it didn't kill you, it didn't take you out. It's a warning. It's God correcting. And, and the preacher says, don't ignore. Those are kind things from the Lord. Don't ignore the warning. That's one, that's one thing. That's one thing. But there's another part of the verse, and I would say um, not only don't ignore, but don't don't implode. Don't collapse. Here's, let me show you what I mean. So my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Okay, don't, don't ignore the warnings. But don't be weary. 
The other side of the coin, don't be weary when you are reproved by them. That word weary, to, to just be overcome with depression and guilt and beaten down. Let's not forget now, if you are a child of God, you've been adopted in Jesus, your sins are paid for at the cross. There is mercy and forgiveness at the cross of Jesus. Don't let guilt become the number one thing and pushing you. Satan would love nothing more than to push you. You forget how good and gracious and kind and merciful and forgiving our God is, how renewing He is. One side is ignoring the warning. The other is being so beaten down by it, being overcome with, with guilt. That's, that's a couple of three. Let me give you a fourth thing that is um, in this one point. It's in verse 6. One thing to cling to, and that is to rem remember that He loves you. It's a, you ought to preach that to yourself. If you're, a, if you're a Christian in Christ, He loves you. You need to preach the love of God to your own soul. It's right there in verse 6. You see that? That the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. Something that helps me think about this, I didn't come up with it. I'm sure I've never had an, an original thought in my life. I don't know where I heard it, though. It, it helps me when I go through hard, something hard, a little saying, comes right out of this passage. The Lord disciplines the one He loves, and today I am His favorite. <laughs> there are going to be times when you feel... Like you are under such discipline that you must be the favorite. It's good to remember that and reflect on the fact this problem is here because I am the Lord's favorite. Best weapon is God's Word. There it is right there in black and white. Let me give you something else to see. Let's reflect on this. That, that is our Heavenly Father knows what He is doing. Sometimes we don't know what He's doing. He knows what he's doing. You find it there in verses 7 and 8. Let me show it to you. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So God's discipline in your life should not surprise you. It's an indication that you are actually are a child of God. If you are walking through difficulty, that is not God's judgment on your sin. This is, this is discipline. This is proof that you are a child of God. Furthermore, if you are a Christian, or at least claim to be, if, if you're not walking through any hardship, you might better wonder, Am I actually a child of God? And if you are walking through lots of difficulty and you're wondering why, it might be that there's still so much that needs to be corrected in your life. What are the sins right now? What are the sins right now you are fighting? You ought to be able to list what is the sin you are fighting. Is it selfishness? Is it frustration? Is it, is it road rage? People get in a car, and who, the, who, who is that person? If that's how you act, hey, that's sinful. Self-pity? Vanity? What, what are you fighting right now? 
You know that God is using difficulty to fight that sin in you? God knows what He's doing in you. A few, a few things, by the way, discipline is hard. A few things to remember. Here are a few things to remember. Verse 7 tells us that God treasures, God treasures His children. Do you see that in verse 7? It's, a, it's just a reminder. God loves His children. He says in verse 7, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are, if you are battling hardship right now, maybe it's, maybe it's the person, maybe it's at a job, God is, is using that and treating you as his child to conform you. He is, he is knocking off the hard edges. He's smoothing down the rough spots. He's getting you spiritually in shape. Training you in righteousness. And if you haven't felt that, you might wonder, am I actually a child of God? It's good for us to, to question. It's good for you to examine yourself. Am I a child of God? Have you put your faith... Listen, here's a good place for the gospel. Let's take a breath. Have you put your faith in Christ? Here's what I mean. God created you in His image. The image of God in you is, is so gone because of sin. It's been so marked up. And fouled to the degree that you're not just far from God. Actually, you, spiritually, you'd be dead. That sin has so separated us from God. But God doesn't, He's not done. Evidently not. You're hearing the gospel here. God in His love gave us Jesus Christ. Jesus is the God-man. He, he lived perfectly on this earth. The time He was here, He lived like we should have lived. He lived like we should have, kept all of God's law commandments perfectly that, that righteousness, he earned it. He already was righteous, but he also, as a man, earned it. At the cross, what happens is he goes there to the cross. Here's the great exchange. This is why we believe in the cross. Jesus goes to the cross, and the terrible act of crucifying him is the judgment of God. But not for Jesus. Remember, Jesus is perfect. He's righteous. That judgment is for sinners. And the great exchange, what happens when you believe is that Jesus takes your sin and gives you His righteousness. So that, how you appropriate that, how that becomes yours alone, is you turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus. And, and if that happens, you are adopted into the family of God. God becomes your Father. You have the assurance of your own salvation because of the mercy and forgiveness that He has given us at Christ and at the cross. You have the, uh, an assurance of salvation because of Sunday. Yeah. Sunday's important because this is the day that God raised Jesus from the dead, and we have great victory in that. And the promise is that God treasures His children. But not only that, you see it in the passage, verse 7 and verse 9, and that is that God corrects His children. Corrects them. Join me there in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Then he asks a rhetorical question. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Join, join me down to verse 9. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers. They disciplined us. We respected them. Should we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? You see, a good father, a good father. Now, I know they're bad and abusive fathers. 
I mean, just a, a father that loves his children, he's going to discipline his children. He does it out of love. I mean, that's, that's the motive behind it. It's not bullying. It's not anger. It's not because he enjoys it. I mean, look, you moms and dads, you know discipline can be absolutely, for a good parent that loves his children, disciplining that child can be gut-wrenching. I mean, all of us wants to be the parent that just gives out ice cream. Discipline's hard. I mean, isn't, isn't that what, um, maybe we still say it, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. As a child, you never believe it. As a parent, you're absolutely certain that is true. And the text is reminding us that, that God, he, he, he corrects His children. Not only that, you, you, if you move back up to verse 8, you see the word legitimate, legitimize, illegitimate. A good father equips his children. See, let me, let me read it to you in verse 8. If you are left without discipline, if you're not being disciplined, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. Not sons. You're, you're orphans. You don't have the family name. You're left in the street. If you're not being disciplined, who's taking care of you? And then down in verse 9, he, he uses the analogy of an earthly, a good father. None of our fathers are perfect, but a good father that gives his son or daughter the family name, gives some legitimacy, teaches the functions of being an adult, washing the car, filling your wife, filling up with gas, cutting the grass, working hard, the simple things in life, providing. I mean, think of all the discipline that your father or even mother taught you without them even actually knowing that. They just taught that to you. And he says that, that that's, that's equipping that gives this legitimacy. Now, the reminder is that all of this discipline, all this hardship, all of what God is doing all of this struggle is going somewhere. God is taking you somewhere. God knows what He's doing. Let me give you one last thing, one last thing to reflect on. Our, our future, your future, our future is forged by God's love, His love. Think about a blacksmith forging and hammering out into shape. Our future is forged by God's love. Now, if you go to verse 9, 10, and 11... Verses 9, 10, and 11 give us a fourfold purpose for why God is doing all that He's doing. Let's just go through it, and you can probably see the, see the purpose as we go. Let's, let's do it. Verse 9. <clears throat> Join me. Besides this, we have, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits, and live. That's a strange phrase, the Father of Spirit. You'll never see that again. The description of God. Shall we not be subjected? I mean, we respected our earthly fathers from lesser to greater. Shall we not be submitted to? I might even write down the phrase, a submitted life. Submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Lordship in your life is best. Discipline brings about an understanding of Jesus Christ as Lord. Submitted life. Not only that, why does God discipline us? Verse 10, you'll see it. 
Verse 10, For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. Talking about our earthly fathers. But He, what does God do? God disciplines us for good. Child runs into the kitchen. The stove's on. Glowing red hot. Parent says, don't put your hand on the stove. Said it with force. Didn't mean to be angry. Did it with urgency. Why? For good. Why does God take some things away from you? Why does God... What was God doing with all those Christians in Florida that had their possessions taken away when a hurricane came through? By God's grace and lovingly teaching us to treasure to treasure Christ above all things, to put our faith in Christ, to not have crutches we stand on, to rely on Christ. It's a hard, it's a hard discipline, but He's doing it for our good. What else in verse 10? There's a, there's a word there, verse 10. They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness, holiness. We do not have holiness in our own. Legalism is not holiness. Legalism relies on your ability to get things done. Holiness is a yielding to the grace of God found in Jesus. We cannot on our own trusting in the righteousness of Christ. And you find there in verse 11, that last verse, there is that phrase, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What does discipline do? Discipline eventually brings us peace with God, peace with people, a peace that is centered on Christ. It's nothing to do with your own ability, nothing to do with the circumstances you are in. It's the righteousness of Christ, and that righteousness is what makes us acceptable to God. How are we His adopted children? We are His adopted children because of the righteousness of Christ. Why does He love us as sons and daughters? He loves us as sons and daughters because we are in Christ. And that love makes it so that we can, we can trust God's love when things get hard. Look, our, our, our worst battle is right here inside. Keep fighting it. Keep seeking the Lord. Our best weapon is God's Word. Learn to love the Bible. And if you don't love the Bible, ask God to give you a heart to love God's Word. Our Heavenly Father knows what He's doing. If you're living a life of frustration, let's repent of that. and Learn to trust God knows what He's doing. That our future... Our future is forged by His love. It is secure in the love of God. Now, in just a minute, in just a minute, we're going to sing a song. Gerald's going to lead us singing, and there are three things that need to happen. The overwhelming majority of you in this church, when we stand and sing, you need to sing with joy in your heart. You need to rejoice in the love of God that you are a son or a daughter in Christ. There are some of you that are so burdened, though, they're so, I mean, something has a hold of you so badly that you may want to pray with the pastor. You may want to wait till after the service is over. Our pastor's out in the lobby and, and just ask for some help. You, you need help. God has given you the church to help you.
There are some of you here, you've heard for the first time, and God has used this to awaken you to understand you are not a child of God. And because of that, you, you live in darkness, and you're under the judgment of God. But it does not have to be like that. Today you can give your life to Christ. You can trust in the righteousness of Christ. You can trust in Jesus dying in your place. You can trust, you can trust God to bring you into his family through faith in Jesus. As we, close, as we close today, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. And whatever, whatever group you find yourself in, rejoicing when we sing rejoice. If you need help today, you ask for help. You come and we'll pray with you. Maybe just embrace the gospel. God has spoken to your heart and your eyes have been opened to see your sin and your need for Christ. When we sing, we'll invite you to come forward. Pastors are right down front here. Or you can wait. If you prefer, you can wait till after the service. But we need to have that conversation today. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace you give us in Jesus, for the discipline. God, help us not to hate the discipline, but to love and trust what you're doing. Father, I pray for the men and women of Hickory Grove you find us faithful. And I pray you would call people to yourself today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?